Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I mean, it's appropriate to talk about fruit today. After all, it is Sukkot, right? And so, uh, you know, you think about fruit and uh, a little piece of fruit caused Adam and Eve to fall from the garden. <laughs> Just a little piece of fruit. You got to watch out for that fruit. I think he hid the etrog down here. Yeah, you got to watch out for a little piece of fruit here because uh, uh, you never know exactly. A little bitty piece of fruit can be very, very important. Fruit can be very, very important. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. It says this, Watch out for false prophets, Yeshua says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree produces good fruit. Etrog. Okay, but, but the rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. So the conclusion here, verse 20, so then you will recognize them by their fruit. Hmm. See, Yeshua warns us. He gives us a heads up uh, in this regard. He tells us to be fruit inspectors. We must be fruit inspectors. I'm going to tell you something interesting is that if we, uh, if you go to Israel and, and you are to go to one of the markets during Sukkot, you know this pre-Sukkot, what happens if you, if you watch the ultra-Orthodox as it's not, I mean, they, they take, am I right about this? Yoel, Yoel is Israeli, he knows. I mean, they take the etrog and they, and they like, it's like, you know, they, they examine this thing. I mean, it's with a fine tooth. Am I right about this? Just to inspect to make sure there is no defect. And it's like, there's hundreds of, of, of the uh, etrog fruit and, and, and they're just looking, and it's like, wow, they don't really look much different, but man, they are looking for something. No, not that one, not that one. They are inspecting fruit. Am I right about that? It really is the truth. Well, uh, God says that we are to be fruit inspectors, essentially. It says you will recognize people by their fruit. What kind of a tree is it? Well, you can tell what kind of a tree it is because of what kind of fruit is on the tree. If the, if the fruit is a good fruit, Okay, then you know then that the tree is good. So the fruit lets you know about the tree. Okay, so it is with people, if you will, to examine the fruit of a person. And he says, by their fruit, 
you will know them or recognize them. In fact, he says it twice. You will recognize them by their fruit. He warns against false teachers. He, he warns against false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. And, and he says, how do you know if they are wolves in sheep's clothing? How do you know if they're, you know, baloney uh, folks, right? Well, you'll know them, he says, by their fruit. You got to look at the fruit that is in their lives. And, and, and honestly, by ex- extension, this applies to us as well. By our fruit, we will be known. So now, so it's, it's all well and good to, to, to be a fruit inspector of other people's fruit. You see the different fruit that's, that's uh, uh, on different people, and that's well and good. But hey, listen, you got to look at yourself first and to ask the question, what kind of fruit is in my life? It is Sukkot. We are in Sukkot. We are officially in Sukkot. It is such a great holiday, a Chag Sukkot Sameach to you. And I hope that you will enjoy your time in the Sukkah. And it is a blessing. I want to, there's so many aspects of Sukkot to, to talk about. It's like, it, it takes about, I don't know, five, eight year cycle just to go through with each Sukkot service, some of the symbolism of Sukkot. There's so many things. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about this because it's a real blessing. And there's, there's a connection here I want to show you. Leviticus chapter 23 Starting in verse 39, it talks about the holiday of Sukkot. It says, So on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruits of the land. Okay, so it's the harvest of the fruits. That's the timing of it. It has to do with the harvesting of the fruit. You are to keep the feast of Adonai for seven days. The first day is to be a Shabbat rest. And the eighth day will also be a Shabbat rest. On the first day, you are to take choice fruit of trees Branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before Adonai your God for seven days. Okay, this is why we took these things. And we see the different, the different items that are on the lulav. The lulav is technically just the middle one, but it represents all, of the, all three of these species, and then, of course, the final one being the etrog, uh, if you will, right here. And so that's exactly where it comes out of, is Leviticus chapter 23. After you have gathered the crops of your land, it says, take that which comes from trees, peri etz hadar, okay, the fruit, literally, it says fruit of the tree beautiful, fruit of the beautiful tree, okay, so we're talking about fruit that comes, and fruit that comes from beautiful trees, it's all connected to Sukkot, that's what's being talked about here in Leviticus chapter 23, Sukkot has a big emphasis on the final harvest, hello, that has so many applications, that has so many symbolisms, the final harvest, of course, and we think about this is the final harvest of, of people as we go to heaven and we dwell with Yeshua. That, that's a whole other sermon, though. Okay, and, and fruits, though, fruits are the final part of the harvest from grapes to pomegranates. Man, Israel has the, the best pomegranates in the world. Uh, it's, it's kind of their national fruit, the pomegranate. It's just amazing. I love pomegranates from Israel to olives, of course, olive trees. Uh, you know, our, our figs and stuff. We have some figs growing here on property. Things like the etrog, the fruit, okay, right? It's that time in the harvest. And these were critical to making it through the winter. Why? Because in Israel, if you know anything about Israeli weather and such, there's, there's, it, that, that's the rainy season, 
well, you know, now we are now entering the rainy season. Sukkot starts and we pray for rain. There's a whole bunch of things in the water. That also is a different sermon. Okay, but, but, but we see here is that the crops, though, that's the last major crop harvest is the fruit crop uh, that's harvested at this time. So Sukkot in part celebrates the fruit harvest as we read in the scripture very clearly. Exodus 23, verse 16 says, also you are to observe the feast of harvest, that's this one, the first fruits of your labors that you sow in the field, as well as the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. Okay, we see here that Sukkot also goes by the name Chag Ha'asif, which we read a little bit earlier and talked about. The feast of ingathering or the harvest festival. Deuteronomy 16 says that Sukkot is celebrated after you gather your produce and God will bless your harvest and your joy will be complete. Mm. There's a completeness. Why is there a a completeness of joy at the end of the harvest? And remember, it's really at the end of the final harvest. Well, it just makes sense. I mean, pretend you're a farmer. (laughs) There's not a lot of farmers Jewish, you know, actually, there are a lot of Jewish farmers now in Israel, man. Israel has some of the best farming in the world. It's incredibly advanced technologically. But if you could imagine being a farmer, and, and, and you can imagine being out in the Midwest or something, there is no better moment in a farmer's life every year when the last of the harvest has come in. And everything is, you know, Koba said there, everything's okay. Why? But because, you know, up until then, you're wondering, oh, is there going to be drought? Is there going to be flood? Is there going to be pestilence? Is there going to be disease and bane on my plants? Is there going to be uh, pests uh, that, that, that come in and, and eat up? Is it just going to be a, a, a weird, meager crop? You, you just don't know, man. I mean, you got to be noivous almost the whole year already. Maybe that's why Jewish people have the noivous gene. You know, we noivous already, a little noivous. Why? You don't know. We just got to be a little bit noivous. Maybe it's because we spent so much time as farmers for so long. But, but we can see here that it is important that our joy will be complete when the final harvest comes in. That just makes sense. So on Sukkot, we are focusing on the fruit harvest, the final big harvest, the harvest of fruit. But remember that Yeshua rightly warned us to be fruit inspectors, to examine fruit. Is there a connection here? Yeah, there is. The the fruit of others and our own fruit, right? Because we know from Adam, I talked about that at the beginning, that all fruit is not the same, right? He he, he blew it when when it came to his choice of fruit. He, He chose the wrong fruit. The fruit that God had prohibited him from tasting is the one that he took a, a munch on, right? You know, people, apple gets a bad rap. It doesn't say it's an apple. It doesn't say tepuach in the Torah, nachon. No, it doesn't say that. It just says fruit. And so I'm, I'm here in defense of apples everywhere, okay? Uh, but in any case, Galatians chapter five, listen to this. Starting in verse 13, says this, brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom, only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Okay, through our freedoms, we should serve one another. For the whole Torah can be summed up in a single saying, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not destroyed by one another. Skipping down to verse 22. But the fruit of the ruach, or spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience. Patience. You see, when you say patience, you got to wait just a second there, right? Because people are like, well, what, what, oh, is something wrong? Has he, he lost his place? What happened? Right, right, everybody looked up. You know, people were at home doing the, on, the, on their thing, and suddenly there's a silence. They look up at the screen. Did somebody press the mute? What happened here? You know, no? it gets everybody's attention. What's, what's wrong here? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law now those who belong to messiah have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the ruach let us also walk by the ruach very strong these are known of course as uh, the fruit of the ruach the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the ruach elohim the, the fruit of the spirit of god so on this Sukkot, let me ask you a question. Since we're talking about fruit, and there's so much about fruit, and it's all this stuff about fruit, here's a question. As we are celebrating the harvest festival for fruit, shouldn't we also have a harvest of spiritual fruit in our lives? Shouldn't that also be part of what we're focusing on today? The physical fruit of the harvest is all well and good, but we read that there is the fruit of the Spirit that the Word of God talks about. So we should be examining our own lives to determine, are we exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, not the bad fruit, the good fruit, the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? So each year, over the last few years, we've been examining a different fruit. And last year, we examined the second fruit, joy, during Sukkot. And wow, that was a great one because, of course, joy is also, this is known as uh, Zaman Simchatenu, the season of our joy, uh, and Sukkot is all about joy. So that was a real easy one to talk about uh, during Sukkot. And so today, though, I want to spend some time talking about the third fruit, which is shalom, peace, peace, love, joy, peace, right? That's one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. We need a harvest of peace in our lives. Amen? It's interesting because as we look into the words of Galatians chapter 5, with the Greek word here used for peace is arene, arene, okay? And arene uh, is reflective of the Hebrew word shalom, of course, as you all would know. And so we got to look at shalom and what the scriptures tell us to teach us about this fruit, what it is, how we cultivate it, etc. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, having been made righteous by trusting, we have shalom with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Ooh, boy, amen, that felt good, right? Okay, so we see just right away that Yeshua, or Moshiach, which only makes sense since he is the Messiah, he brings us fruit. He brings us specifically shalom. He, it was right there in Romans chapter 5. Yeshua brings us shalom. He brings us peace. And that in and of itself is enough. If we look at it, even at its most uh, banal sense, to say he brings us peace, dainu, you know, it is enough. Okay, I know that's the wrong of the regalim, okay? <laughs> I get that, it's a wrong holiday, that's Passover. But we say, dainu, right, it's enough, okay? He gives us peace, as, as in, uh, as in not, not having conflict, peace. But if we dig a little bit deeper to understand the meaning of the word erene, or shalom, 
we see a very much of a deeper meaning and a richness that is not immediately evident because a deeper understanding of this word, peace, implies not just an absence of war. Peace means an absence of war. That's part of what it means, an absence of conflict, an absence of war. Fair enough. That's, that's peace. And that's, again, Dainu, that's enough. But if we understand it more, the, the word really means more than this. It means a completeness. Yeshua brings us shalom. Arene. A completeness. This is something that as I was kind of looking all into this and, and researching it, I think this will help you understand if you look at the scripture, it, it, it clicked, something clicked for me when I looked and understood this uh, contextually to understand more so even the meaning of shalom, of peace. If you uh, turn to 1 Kings, it, this story, uh, the whole story is not so important, uh, but the timing of it is, is that it's recounting when King Solomon finished building the temple. So King Solomon was finishing building the temple, the temple, which was oftentimes referred to simply as the house, okay? And we read in 1 Kings 25, just the end of it, it says, when he, being Solomon, when he finished the house, and then it goes on from there, when he finished the house. If you look in your scriptures, that's what it says, when he finished the house. You see it on your screen right below me, when he finished the house. Now, the Hebrew here is, veshalam et habayit, very interesting. Now, of course, bite, as you know, is house. Bite is house. Um, just like the name of our congregation is Beth Hallel. Beth means house. Hallel means praise, like hallelujah, right? Beth is a, 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 a Tiberian style of Hebrew uh, that really means bait. You'd say in modern day Hebrew in Israel today, you'd say bait Hallel, which means house of praise, Okay. And, and a house, just in and of itself, is a bite, okay? And so it says, veshalam et habayit, okay? It's talking about when the house, the bite, is at shalom. That's what it says in the Hebrew. When, when the house is at shalom. But how is that translated? If we look at the translation, you see it before here. It says, when, the, when he finished the house. There is a completeness that is conveyed by shalom, by peace. The root Hebrew here implies completeness, fulfillment. When the house was completed, when it was finished, when it was in its entirety, just what it was supposed to be. That's part of what shalom is all about, fulfillment. It's like when a debt is paid. I love when a debt is paid, right? It's like this, you know, it's like, done. Woo! Feels so good. Man, when you pay off your car, or if you can pay off your house, or you pay off your credit card bill, right? If you've had, it, if you had a balance for a while, and you write that check in that final thing, you, you, or you do it online, whatever, man, the moment you click that button, the moment you put that thing in the mail, it's like, woo, yes, woo, Baruch Hashem, I'm feeling good, Brother, <laughs> and for true, and that makes sense. Why? Because there's a joy when that debt is now done. It is complete. 
Now, another, another way of understanding shalom, and you have shalom when that happens, that's for sure. Another way of understanding shalom is when a building or wall is completed and it is sound. When there are no cracks, there are no defects. Joshua chapter 8, verse 31 describes stones that are made for an altar. And, 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 the, and, and it says in Joshua 8, 31 that these stones that are to be placed in this altar are, have never been cut. These stones have never been cut. And it describes them as being at shalom, the stones. The stones that, that are described, it doesn't say that in the English translation, but in the Hebrew, it says it. It, it says uncut, most translations say uncut stones. Place them in, when you're building the altar. Uncut stones. Uncut meaning complete. They are whole. They're not chiseled, cut down. They are exactly as they were originally. They are complete. Uncut stones. But in Hebrew, it says the stones are at shalom. The stones are at peace. In other words, they're whole. There's a wholeness that's conveyed by the word shalom this, or peace, right? So this fruit of the spirit that we read about in Galatians and in the, in the full Hebraic Jewish understanding of it, uh, this peace that is talked about in Galatians really implies completeness, wholeness, fulfillment, soundness, See, it's not just a lack of conflict. That's only part of it. It's part of it too, but that's only part of it. This is what the Ruach brings. This is what the Spirit of God brings because it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, this is starting to make sense, isn't it? It's clicking with you, isn't it? Because the, the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, brings wholeness, completeness, soundness, Shalom is a fruit of the Spirit of God, but we really need to examine this fruit because if we are to have this fruit, we've got to cultivate it. We've got to cultivate it. But if you understand some of the deeper meanings of peace, you'll better know how to grow it and to actively seek it. John chapter 14, what does Yeshua say? He says, shalom, I leave you. Peace, I leave you. My shalom, I give to you, Yeshua says, my peace I give to you, but not as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or afraid. Ah, okay. Oh, this is hopefully starting to connect with you here. When Yeshua says that he gives us his peace, it's not like what the world gives. Right, 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 right. Why? Because the, the peace of the world consists, the peace of the world consists of temporary arrangements to stop or pause a conflict. That's what the, the peace of the world simply indicates. And that is so very shallow compared with the inner peace that we receive with Yeshua. There is a completeness. There is a wholeness. There is a fulfillment that can only be achieved through our Messiah. Wow, that's really making some sense, isn't it? That's why Philippians 4 talks about a peace that passes understanding. We don't understand this peace. Why do we have this peace? Especially if it's still in the midst of conflict, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, because it is the shalom of the Ruach Elohim. It is a shalom that only comes from God above. Powerful. Okay, so how do we cultivate this fruit of the Spirit peace? 
I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 6, or rather just verse 6, it says, For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the ruach, or spirit, is life and shalom, life and peace. Peace is the mindset of the spirit of God. Mm. So we have to have our mind governed by the ruach. Aha, you see here? Deep peace is truly not dependent upon external circumstances. You see what we're reading here is that the true peace here comes from having a mindset of the ruach. It doesn't say anything about what your external circumstances are. The external circumstances, and, and, and honestly, most people think of external circumstances when they think about, do you have peace? Well, well, let's see, what have I got going on? No, I've got a lot of tsuris. If you don't know what tsuris is, ask your Jewish friend, right? Okay, but, but, but this is not what the word of, word of God teaches us. You see, peace comes through having a mindset of the Spirit of God. In other words, if we're looking at things with the mind of the Spirit of God, we will have peace. We will have peace. This means, <laughs> in a very practical level, <laughs> this means that when your kid gets on your last nerve, <laughs> I know that's never happened to you, okay? If you're a parent, never happened, of course. No, my kid's an angel. My kid's a little angel. Oh, is that right? Wow, boy. Doesn't look like it when you turn your back, but okay, mama, daddy. Okay, no, no. When your kid gets on your last nerve, you'll still have the mind of the Spirit and will have peace. When you're falsely accused, mindset of the Spirit, you'll have peace. When you lose your job, that's no fun. You'll have the mindset of the Spirit. You'll have peace. When you're tempted by lust, no, you'll have the mindset of the Spirit. Peace. Shalom. When you're tempted by greed, when you're struggling financially, mindset of the Spirit, peace. When you're feeling inadequate or insecure, so many people have a, a, a negative self-image. No, 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 no. If you have a mind that is governed by the Ruach, then you'll have true peace, which means inner completeness. And this inner completeness is regardless of what's going on in the world around you. See, and if you understand the fullness of this, pun intended, that makes what Yeshua said in the scripture make complete sense. What did he say in John chapter 16? <laughs> it just all makes sense if you understand the fruit of the Spirit peace. John 16, 33 says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is what Yeshua says. Wow. You see, if we understand it now in its fullness, man, that just makes sense. He tells us in this world there will be trouble. Other translations say tribulation. <laughs> or my, my Jewish grandmother would have said, Surus. <laughs> All right, fair enough, whatever. But even in the midst of this, we can have peace. Think about that for just a minute. Peace in the midst of trouble. Peace in the midst of trial and tribulation. It's possible with God. 
but only with God because it doesn't make sense. It's a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense on on a, a topical level. And as we prepare to close, how important is this peace, the shalom that only God can bring? How important is it? Well, this is how important peace is, this, this, this special kind of peace. It's one of the titles of Moshiach. It's one of the titles of Messiah, according to the Tanakh, the Old Covenant, the traditional Hebrew scriptures. Listen to this prophetic scripture from the Jewish prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, foretelling of the Messiah who would come. Now think about this for just a minute. This is a prophecy about the Messiah that you could find in any Jewish Bible, traditional Jewish Bible from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. And it's a prophecy about the Messiah to come. It says this, For to us a child is born, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, my Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and shalom, peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it through justice and righteousness from now until forevermore. The zeal of Adonai Tzavahot's will accomplish this. Ooh, boy, amen. Now, briefly, as a very short side teaching, it's, this is such an amazing prophecy about Yeshua. I assume that you all see this, right? It's so clear. It tells of the coming Messiah. And what does it say? How does it describe the Messiah? It says the Messiah will be born. He will be a a male child. A son will be born. Sound familiar? And it's interesting because some uh, Jewish scholars say that this is speaking of Israel. Or some Jewish scholars says, yes, this is talking about the Messiah. And the Messiah will be born, but it's just a man. It's not anything more than a man. But Isaiah clearly does not allow room for that. Why? Because as the prophecy continues, he specifically says that in the prophecy that one of the names of this child that is born is mighty God. That's one of the names of the child that will be born, mighty God. Look it up yourself. Israel is never called God. No regular man is ever called God. Only God is called God. And it is this son and this child that is born, as it says in Isaiah. This is the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay. Furthermore, one of the titles of the Messiah is Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. Ooh, Prince of Peace. Yes, my friend, Peace is available. Real peace is available. But not through any worldly means. You're not going to find it from a pill. You're not going to find it from the end of a needle. You're not going to find it from a vacation or a, or, or a mansion. You're not going to find it through fame or fortune or popularity. None of that stuff is where peace truly comes from. True peace only comes from the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. It is Sukkot, my friends. We're celebrating the fruit harvest. This year, let's purpose to have a harvest of fruit. The title of my message is 
peace fruit. Let's grow it. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if you're watching here today and, and you say, Rabbi Kevin, I need some of that peace. I need some of that peace in my life. I've had so much anxiety and, and, and depression and, and uh, discouragement and service and tribulation and trials. Okay. Because in this world, tribulation comes. Lord, in the name of Yeshua, anybody who feels that way is watching this. I don't care if it's right now, live, or if it's 15 years from now, you're watching it on YouTube or whatever <laughs> succeeds YouTube. I pray, God, for shalom, for peace, a peace that passes understanding, a peace only Moshiach, Messiah can bring, a peace of God, a peace from Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord God, and that comes with having a mindset of the Spirit. So, Lord, let us put our mind toward that which the Spirit desires, peace, regardless of the circumstances around us. We'll have peace, not just a lack of conflict, because there may be conflict around us, Lord, but, but a completeness, a fullness, a wholeness about ourselves even that can come only when we're seeking and following him. Mm. Thank you, Lord God. I pray for each and every person who's watching who needs that in their life. If that's you, receive it from the Lord. It's free and available to you if you ask him. And cultivate that fruit. Cultivate that fruit in your life, the peace fruit. Let things not bother you as much when Sirus comes. Why? Because you have the mind of the Lord. If you're watching and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, if you've never said that prayer, repeat this prayer after me and God will change you on the inside. If you've never said yes to Yeshua, say, Dear God, I humbly come before you. I accept Yeshua as my Messiah. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me of my sins, God. I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God. I love you, Lord. And thank you for giving me that peace, that peace that passes understanding. That peace, Lord, let it grow. Thank you, Lord, for this in Yeshua's name. If you said that prayer for the first time, please send us an email. We would love to hear from you and just to celebrate with you and maybe send you some materials. But God, I thank you for everybody watching. I thank you for this Sukkot. I thank you that we can dwell with you and that you've dwelled, dwelt with us. Uh, Lord, uh, and, and I pray blessings on each person watching during this holiday of Sukkot. Thank you, Lord, for providing for our people in the desert and for providing for us all the time, even today. I thank you for these things. B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of our Messiah, Yeshua, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah, or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. 
That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Nine, 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 nine.